Welcome to another episode of Throwing Bagels. We have a terrific guest joining us uh, for this one, uh, but uh, and we'll get to him in just a second. But first, we want to welcome in everyone on the Throwing Bagels podcast. Hi, Chris. Kevin, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Uh, how are you? I couldn't be better. Uh, Jay Hamo as well. Hey, Jay. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Hey, I am wonderful. Yourself? I'm hanging in there. Doing well, all right. And I'm Kevin Mooney, and uh, thanks again for for joining us. And let's roll right into it. We have our very special guest. He is the executive producer of New York Mets Baseball on WCBS 880 in New York. Also the newsroom operations manager at CBS and a former co-worker of mine way back in the day at WFAN. It is none other than the famous Sugar Ray Martel. Hey Ray, <laughs> how, are you? how are you, Kevin? Kevin, you, you know you, you talked about those places I've been there, and uh, you and I go way back to our WFAN days, and and really uh, a lot of late overnights, a lot of uh, late nights in Astoria, New York, uh, mm. late night travels, dropping you off at the Staten Island Ferry, and you know I, it, it's crazy to think that that was you know twenty twenty five years, almost twenty five years ago now, going back to when that was. And, Time flies, but you look good. You sound good, and I'm glad to be here. Well, Ray, that's that's very. Uh, I appreciate that very much. It's very kind of you. You look way better than I do at this point. So, oh, I, I doubt that. I, it, it, the lighting in here is terrible. You trust me. There's no, there's no way about that. First off, you oversold to everybody that you had me as a guest as a great guest. So I, right. I do apologize <laughs> to everybody there. But uh, you know, in, in all in all seriousness, it, it is great to talk to you and. Uh, we had a lot of fun times in Astoria, and uh, I was having a little fun tonight. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, we're going to get to some of those uh, fun times in Astoria soon. But right now, we want to talk about uh, New York Mets baseball. So uh, I know, Ray, as, as executive producer of Mets baseball, you work with Keith Rad and, and Pat McCarthy, two new additions to the New York Mets booth. How is that team coming together along with Howie Rose? I'm telling you, it could not have gone any better over the first few weeks of camp and the first few games of bringing them in. And when Wayne Randazzo announced that he was leaving and heading to uh, to the Angels of Anaheim, I'll still call them the Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Angels. But uh, when he headed out, we knew we had a big task in front of us because Wayne was such a phenomenal broadcaster for us. For the Mets. And I, I like to say this, and I mean this true. I don't think there are five better broadcasters in baseball than him at his age and the way it is. And we kind of knew for a while that Wayne would be heading somewhere else for a number one job, a television job in a big market. And that finally came this year. And, you know, we had some shoes to fill at that point. Uh, we had over 100 applicants come through from every level of baseball, whether they were current major league broadcasters, minor league broadcaster, college broadcasters. And, you know, one jumped out immediately right away uh, when Keith, when we heard Keith and the story of him uh, working already in the Mets organization. When we talked to him in his interview, the fact that he had gone from double A and said, you know what? I want to be in New York. I want to work here. I want to be part of the Mets organization. And then decides, you know what? Instead of going there, wherever the broadcaster is going to jump to double A, he goes to single A in Brooklyn and makes a career out of that so he could be in the metropolitan area. And it was just one great story after another. Plus, he was a terrific broadcaster. And those first few weekends when we heard him in Port St. Lucie with, uh, with Howie Rose, 
you know, the first broadcast sounded great. Looking back, was he a little bit nervous? Probably there. But by day two, it was almost old hat for him, which was great. And then a week later, we bring in Pat McCarthy. And if you're a Met fan, you probably remember Tom McCarthy or know of even Tom McCarthy down in Philadelphia, the outstanding broadcaster, uh, one of the many people that I like to say, like Howie, is an even better person than he is a broadcaster. And he's a fantastic broadcaster. Uh, his son was brought in to do pre and post and about 40 to 45 games when Howie is off. Howie is not going to be taking a lot of the late West Coast trips as he has mm -hmm. over the past few years. And the two of them worked together, and it was just like magic. It was just hearing, you know, two, you know, young, responsible kids take out the big car and drive it perfectly and do everything that the parent wants them to. And I mean it in a nice way. Uh, it's been a really good spring for all of that. We could not be happier with the, the choices we had. And we had to make some incredibly tough choices to get there. And I am extremely proud of what we did. And you can just hear the difference with Howie over the first few weekends uh, and just how much fun he's having working with these two young, uh, young broadcasters. And I think Mets fans are going to love them. I really do. Take us through that process. What, what is it like to get all of these applicants in and how do you, how do you narrow it down to the two individuals that we, we have, we're talking well, about? Well, it, it is not an easy process at all. As you say, as you're saying, we were receiving over a, over a hundred, not just myself, but anyone else in the organization uh, here at Odyssey would get a tape, an email, this, friends, people calling in. I got recommendations for people from high-level broadcasters and other teams. Big national broadcasters actually would call me, hey, why don't you take a listen to this person? Why don't you take a listen to this person? And that's how you start doing it. You have to whittle them down. Did I personally listen to every single one of them? No, but I listened to a great majority of them. With other members that we had the committee, they listen to others. And we pretty much probably overlapped listening to everyone at least twice. You know, maybe I listened to somebody, always somebody did. So we did not miss anyone in the process. And if we got somebody, we flagged it and put down, okay, I like this guy. I like how he sounds. And, you know, I, I like this because, and we would put a little note together. And it was one process after another. And then we would sit down and say, okay, here's our top 10 or 15 guys. And we kind of put them in, okay. We've got two positions we're really working for right here. We've got the position where you're going to be the sidekick to Howie, the Wayne replacement. And then you're going to have somebody where Wayne was before where you have a pre and post and filling in. And we kind of put them in, okay, these are where they would fit in different buckets and listen to them. And once we got that down to really about 15 to 20, which is still a lot, that's when we brought Howie in and Madge and even Wayne listening to, hey, what do you think? And got their opinions and worked there. We would break it down even more. And then we had a formal interviews with a, with a number of them. And that's when we found out where we wanted to go. And Keith really stood out from the beginning being, number one, an excellent broadcaster. Number two, being already involved with the Mets organization. A Long Islander, local, knows the Mets. And he really, he really shined at that. And when he and Howie talked, they, they really meshed well. And it really was a great situation, a great story. And they end up being a unanimous choice with all of us. Like, hey, this is where this is the guy. This is really who we should be going with going forward. And that's not a knock on anyone else who didn't get it because they were outstanding. Some were, like I said, established major league broadcasters as well applying to this. But in the end, we made it, you know, you have to make tough choices and you have to make choices also, with, with, with some feeling in how the story is, how they're going to relate to Met fans, knowing the Mets, knowing the minor league system, 
really, Keith really had a lot of those boxes. And the same thing with Pat. Pat's dad was here. Pat was interviewed and, and sat down in the interview and talked about um, and talked about the John Main game. I'm sure Kevin Mooney will remember that back in the playoffs. And it's just like he he had this photographic memory of Mets events along the way. And that's what a good broadcaster will have. Look, neither one of them are going to have Howie or Gary's knowledge of the Mets. They are the encyclopedia. They are the absolute experts on the Mets. But when you can sit there and talk back and forth and bring up your memories and then also relate to the younger fans right now, because obviously we know with the new pitch clock, with the new rules, they know it. Howie doesn't. That makes a great mix, uh, mix into the broadcast. So, Ray, you said you you listened to a good portion, majority of those tapes that came in. And I like to say tapes, even though, let's go, be honest, nowadays right. they're not we tapes anymore. Tapes, yeah. But was the process more of I listen to I'm listening to, you know, 55 of these and you listen to another 30. And I'm just going to say you have to listen to this guy or you or you tell me I have yes, to listen to exactly. this guy. Basically, you know, you're you're going to you're going to hear them. I, I, I think I have a good ear for uh, for talent and how it is. I know others do as well. And, you know, they're there. I, I would say that as you go along, you start to hear a lot of I mean, you, you can't listen to 100 tapes uh, that because you're going to miss things. You, you can't do that. That's why it was great to have a committee of people kind of doing that and people from the outside saying, hey, give this person a listen, give this person a listen. And when you started to do that, you, you could whittle away at really who was ready to make that next step. And there were some who were ready to make that step. There were others who, you know, we, we, we replied, I replied to all of them and I said, look, Here's where it is. If you want any questions, more than happy to to give you what we thought about it and where we think you can improve. That that's that's part of the whole business and kind of how we want to do because nobody wants any of these people to do bad. If we could we could hire them all, we we would we rotate them in and out. It's just it's just a tough situation that we had to whittle it down and, and get really the best of the best. And you know the the guys that we didn't pick are right there at major league level and probably could walk into any booth today and, and, and call a game. So it, that that's just how tough this was in the end. But, you know, you mentioned something there, listening to that. You do kind of get to a point where after you listen to 20, 30, you're kind of like, oh, your head starts spinning, which is why it was good to have, you know, we had five, six, seven people listening. And then like, hey, you know, listen to this guy, kind of get our group there and then narrow it down. You mentioned, Ray, that Odyssey really drove the whole process. But how much input did the New York Mets have in selecting the broadcasters? In the end, they, they had input in who, you know, people that they suggested. But we all kind of sat there and went through it and said, here's who we like. And then when we got down to really our, our finals, we submitted them to the Mets just to make sure. And they were like, hey, you guys have done a great job in the past. I mean, Wayne was picked years ago through a different in a different regime. He was picked when they were at WR and a different thing. They were extremely happy with it because Madge, uh, Howie, everyone involved know what works on the broadcast. And really how Howie had a really good say on everything there. And, you know, when we gave Howie, him, he listened to him. He said, these are the guys I want to talk to. We all hope Howie stays for a long time, but was there any thought process into how he's getting a little bit older? You know, is there a possibility that at some point down the road, these guys could take his job if Howie decides to step away at some point? That is the long-term goal of anyone we bring in for a position. You know, we they, we hope that they're with us for a very long time. We hope Howie's with us for a very long time, but you know, you never know how he could want to take time back. Who knows when he wants to? And our hope is that these are the guys in the future who can step right in. Of course, as the, you know, this was we're not picking someone who we think oh, okay is only here for a few years. 
We'd love this to be the broadcast crew. You know, we'd, we'd love this to be, you know, uh, really Gary, Keith, and Ron, who've been together for almost 20 years now. It's been 20 years, and he's been close to that. We hope it's, yeah. you know, we hope it's it's Howie, Keith, and Pat for the next 20 years. That's exactly what we want. I mean, that, that you couldn't ask for a better situation than that. We certainly don't want to have a rotating chair going in there. We'd love to have these guys in for a for the long haul and be really become part of the Mets. You know, I know Kevin knows this. It, you know, it it was Murph and Gary all those years, and yes. it was Murph and Howie and Gary. It was you, you always had that consistency. We'd love to have it where it would be many many years of of, of Keith and Pat doing this. When you guys were looking into who would fit where, was there a we want to look for a specific guy to fit the broadcast for like Keith is and uh, the play by play and then find someone for the pre and post or was it, you know, we'll, we'll just see what we get type thing. No, everybody was in for the number one. And then once we, we did it one at a time, we kind of settled the one or the kind of replacement for Wayne and then our pre and post in there. And that's how we did it. And, and they, you know, they, they, there were a lot of people involved. And when we got through the first one, we kind of moved on to the second and asked people, are you interested in this? And again, if, there were some established broadcasters who, you know, weren't going to go in that direction because that's they're they're already doing something like that somewhere else. So why would they do that? And it was it was a kind of not a problem. It wasn't like it was dissing us. Like no, no, you know, here's where I am. I I was looking for 162 games. I'm already doing 50 games right now. I, I appreciate it. And kindly good. Once we did that, we got the group back in and we kind of looked. Okay, here's our next step. Here's some guys who did pre and post. Here's guys who did because obviously Keith had done that as well, but Pat had done that. Pat had done interviews, and he jumped right to the front of the line right there. And, and again, he was, um, you know, he he had uh, he had applied last year when Jake Eisenberg was in there, and Jake would have been a top candidate as well. But Jake got a position already and moved right away. He's got a a great position now with the Royals. He's doing also TV for them. Uh, again, we we have been blessed with great young broadcasters over the past few years. You think about it right now. We have three broadcasters uh, already. And if you want to count even Keith and Pat now, five broadcasters in the major leagues of young guys that came through our system. Two of them that are here now. Wayne Randazzo, who is now with the Angels. Jake, who is with Kansas City. And John Sadak, who is with the Reds. So, I mean, we have had a lot of guys over the last few years come through our booth that are now in prominent positions. So it is, you know, we, we, it just shows you, we didn't bring in people, other people taken away from us. That's that we are obviously doing a very good job. And our hope is for Keith and Pat that they're here for a very, very long time. But again, when opportunities have come and our guys go, it means that, you know, it means that we, we did the right job. So I can imagine probably Pat someday is going to want to be a number one guy. And so is Keith probably. Yeah, that, that's just the way it is. You you're always looking to do that, but it, it, that's not a knock. The fact that Wayne left it just shows you, hey, we we had a really good one. And I am surprised that Wayne was here as long as he was. I thought Wayne probably, you know, there were a few openings along the way that you know Wayne was up for just because circumstances weren't right. He didn't get. I, I'm finally I'm glad he finally got one that was great for him because uh, I, I hate to lose him, but. And he said, I don't, I don't know if there's five broadcasters in baseball better than him. I mean that he's, he's that good of a broadcaster and, you know, the angels fans are going to find that out right now. They're going to find that out this year. Ray, as, as an executive producer, can you explain to the audience how that works with the radio broadcast and how, what your interactions are with the play-by-play announcers? I do a lot of it uh, during the home games. And then Chris Matchkowski will handle the majority of it on the road games. A lot of it starts in the in the pregame preparation, making sure that we have 
our Mets logs, our spots, everything running set up for the broadcast. Uh, the way it's set up in our system is it's a completely separate broadcast system or where all the commercials are than 880. So I have to handle that, make sure the logs are full. That's my day. Starts with that, making sure we're set, making sure the opens are good. We have a production team to make sure that we correct every open. I'm sure Kevin knows this back from our days in the fan. We don't want to be playing highlights of players who are no longer on the team. And sometimes in baseball, you can get a trade at, at uh, you know, find at two o'clock in the morning that somebody's been released and they had a highlight. It's in a package from last week. You got to change something like that. Little things like that. So I oversee all of that until we get to game time. And then when game time starts, Chris Majkowski kind of takes over and he handles all the live reads that I will hand him and give him for the broadcast. Uh, I will oversee the Spanish broadcast as well because uh, there are a couple doors down from us. Uh, Max Perez Jimenez and Nestor Rosario and Johnny Trujillo have been doing the broadcast now for three years. Uh, Juan Alicea, who had been with the Mets since 1969, uh, wow. passed away last year. It was very sad. We loved him. He had been a Spanish broadcaster for the Mets, like I said, since 1969, going back to the World Series, and really took a step back a few years ago, and we would bring him in from time to time. And uh, now Max uh, brought in Johnny to kind of fill in for those dates. I handle those things. I don't speak any Spanish at all, so it's it's a lot of fun because they try to help me and teach me, and we have a good time. Uh, but I oversee kind of the background of both of those broadcasts before the game. When the game starts, it's in the hands of Madge, uh, and I will make sure that we're technically set up at the studio, that our board op is ready, and that everything is set on their end. And then after the game, make sure everything gets filed away. That is a, a typical Met broadcast for myself. And then I make sure that uh, I, I got all the schedules set up, uh, alerting newsrooms, alerting Sirius XM because they pick it up, alerting Major League Baseball when our games are here and there. As you may know, if you're in, in certain parts of most of New York, you can get us on the Odyssey app. That is set up with a geofence and only certain areas can get it. If a game gets canceled, I've got to alert them. Hey, open it back up so 880 can be heard everywhere instead of so they don't get a, a different programming. There's a lot of technical things that happen as the executive producer uh, and more behind the scenes stuff uh, than actual day-to-day -day game stuff than I've had in the past. And that's one of the reasons why it's great to have Madge in there, the immortal Chris Madgekowski, to kind of handle the the legwork in the studio, uh, in the or rather in the booth. I mean, Chris is this is what his thirtieth or thirty-first year entering thirtieth or thirty-first year. Uh, I forget. We just updated the um, the media guide, and uh, he said just add one hundred sixty-two to whatever the number is of how many he's done. <laughs> uh, he missed one game for his brother's wedding, and he missed a inning and a half back in 2018 when he threw the first pitch uh, and got a chance to uh, throw out the first pitch on the mound. And uh, that was fun because I got to run the board for that. And I even messed that up. So I, I said, I, I knew right then and there, you know what? That's about it for me. My my time is done as the uh, as the broadcast engineer. We're going to hand that back to the capable, capable hands of that. Uh, when I was at WOR, it was a different setup. I was in the studio all 162 games. Once I moved here to 880, we kind of switched a little bit up to give me a little bit more of a, a life during the baseball season. Yeah. Uh, but I do enjoy being there. It is it's a, a great place to be spending your you know your work time at the ballpark. You, you can't beat it. You really can't. And no. your duties as a um, newsroom operations manager. So my title actually uh, changed. And I gotta I gotta fix the uh, my uh, <laughs> I gotta fix my actual. Uh, title of what it is because uh, in just if you know anything about uh, the local area here in 
and 880 and 1010 wins, we have combined a lot of our operations. We have mm. cross utilization now. So you hear a lot of the 880 voices on 1010 and 92.3 wins and same thing vice versa. So uh, I'm working with programming as well. I oversee a lot of the scheduling. I oversee a lot of the administrative things, uh, background and kind of the, so I picked up more of not just the operations manager also in programming as well. So I've been, uh, I've been, I've been moved to some more work. It's a little busier, but I tell you, it's still a lot of fun because I'm now working with two legendary stations. And, you know, I was thinking about that, Kevin. I don't know how many people can say they've worked for all three of the major Odyssey AM stations in a high capacity. And I've now added wins that list and I've now hit them all. That's that's the hat trick right there. Yeah, it's like the EGOT. It's like the EGOT, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's go back to that. So, Ray, you and I met at WFAN some 25-ish, whatever years. Well, it was, I know I, I interned the summer of 99. And then yeah, I right uh, after me because right I was at, the I was okay. the I was in January of nine. Oh, excuse me, I was in uh, I was in yeah the fall to January ninety eight to ninety nine. So that's when I started out at Fan. Now, were you an intern or were you intern? Start- yeah, I was okay. an intern for that for that um, that that summer slash fall end of the uh-huh. year, uh, and, and that's when I started off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it flew by. It was real yeah. quick. Uh, you remember there was no pay. That <laughs> was what it was. <laughs> no, <laughs> no pay. Uh, lots of, uh, lots of pizza and cups of ice bought by Bob with yes. and, uh, you know, working with Ian Eagle, all these guys were in studio now to think about it. Ian Eagle, Bob with uh, Don LaGreca, Dave LaGreca, they yeah. were all part of us. And now they're all over the place big time. And right. it's crazy to think what we had, there used to be, and it's still sitting there now in, in Hudson square, but there was this great laminated article that Bob Raceman had done. And I think you remember it, Hysteria in Astoria. And it's it was exactly what it was. That was a unique, special time in my life. And I know you, Kevin, it was it was quite the place to be at back in the day. Well, it, it was, especially at that time, because I was I was walking in a fan of the Mets, Giants, Knicks, Rangers. So that and the fan was the home of all four of those teams. So it was just great to be able to 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 cut those highlights to work with these guys work with Mike Breen work with Kenny Albert uh you know as they handled Knicks and Rangers games respectively uh and and also to work with Chris Ratchkowski as we as we did Mets broadcast when we worked together I know Ray you were at that time you started producing week overnights uh, for the Joe Beningo show I mean what what was that experience like to to be working overnight in in the the biggest sports talk city in the world I, I will say that I love where I am right now. I'm in a great spot, but I've always said if I could have one day to go back, I'd want it to be a Monday morning after a disastrous oh. jet loss with Joe Beningo <laughs> coming on at one o'clock in the morning. There is no greater moment in my life in radio than that. And I'll tell you a funny story about that because uh, Joe is back every once in a while for a little bit there, but Joe finished off his regular run back in December of 2021. And they asked me and uh, also to go with Ernie to produce that last show. And we got the who's who of guests on throughout the years of who we were able to pull through. I mean, that there. And one of the things was, I remember this when I was with Joe, I could never get ever Jeff Van Gunny to come on. I couldn't, the garden wouldn't let him, wouldn't do this, couldn't do it, never did. We used to see him in the press conferences. He bust Joe's time, but we could never get him on. I texted him and I said, look, I, this is it. He texts me back and he says, 
I got to check with ESPN. They usually don't let me do it. I'm like, this ain't going to happen. Five minutes later, okay, I'm good. What time do you need me? So I said, I want you at five o'clock on that day, Friday. I want you as the last guest. It's going to be a surprise. So I got a chance to produce this show. And I said, I got a surprise for guest for you at five o'clock. And he probably thought it was somebody else. And we got that guy later, actually. Uh, and that was Mike, because Mike came on a little later. Uh, but I, uh, the two surprises were that. Uh, and then I, I introduced Jeff Van Gundy, and we used to start cracking up. He's like, oh, you never could get this guy. And I finally got him. I, I, I promised you I'd get him. It might be 20 years later, but we got him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had so much fun. We, we, we wrapped it up. Ernie did a great job. And I said it then, you know, if I could have – one more night to go back, that would be it. And I got it. I, I got it by doing that that final show to have one more fun day. We did the old open. We did it. Evan let him do it. We, you know, we had a caller montage of all the callers. And, you know, a lot of them sadly have passed away. You know, Short mm-hmm. Al, Doris, Bruce and Bayside. Uh, we had a you know the prophet. Uh well the prophet's still around, but uh big Jim in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, you know, all these guys, Jim from Long Island. And it was weird because I spent a lot of time. I still have a little book with all their phone numbers in. I would call it disconnected, disconnected. And it just kind of gave me a little lump in my throat for a little while. Like this is it. And I make a call and I know you'll remember this name. And all of a sudden the phone picks up and Miriam and Forest Hills. <laughs> and I talked with her, uh, you know, I had a little choke up with her. We talked about it and said, wow. And I said, you know, you got to make sure you're calling. She called in the day before and got through. And I said, we need to get, all of you on but uh you know that that was that was a lot of fun to, to hear and you know even hear some of those voices that meant so much to us in the middle of the night i used to say this about that is that you know we were therapy for all those losses yeah and we were the we were the fans show we were the voice of the fan in 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 joe and we were there way to kind of have that exhale on that moment where they could come out and that's what made it great and we were completely different than anything else out there and a lot of people liked us. That was the other thing, too. One thing Joe did that a lot of hosts didn't do, and a lot of them still don't do today. Joe was at every game. We spent a lot of times, uh, a lot of my weeks were, you know, I would get home, you know, we got done at 530. I'd get home probably around 630 or 7 a.m. and take a nap, sleep, get up around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, see what's going on, talk to Joe. There's no texting. He didn't even get a cell phone. Years <laughs> later. So I'd call him at home and we'd get that. And then it was like, okay, I'll see you at the Garden. I'll see you at the Meadowlands. See you there. Yeah. We would go to Coliseum, Yankee Stadium, Shea Stadium. And we would go there. We would be at the game. And we'd book our guests right then and there. If the Mets won, we were lucky they would usually give us a game, a guest. The Rangers liked Joe. Uh, we could usually get a Ranger guest. Knicks we could never get. They were paying the rear end. Um, but, you know, if the Islanders were good and we needed somebody, he'd get, he'd get somebody. But it, that's what it was. The Mets would take care of us once in a while. We might get lucky with a Yankee player, but that's how we did our shows. And we'd see any of the reporters there. We used to have Stephen A. Smith on before he was Stephen A. Smith, when he was a Philadelphia Inquirer. And he would come on. And I I love this about this because, you know, and, and he, I, I, you know, he was a very good reporter. You knew him, but I would call him and like, hey, Stephen, I, I, I want to get you on with Joe. Can we tape something? And I love, you know, nah. I don't tape with Joe. I go on live. It was great. He's like, he's like, what time do you want me? I said, well, I don't want to do what time do you want me? I said, can you do 120? Done. I will call you. And it was great. And that that was how Stephen A was. And he loved Joe. He would come on. He'd rip the Knicks and he'd love it. <laughs> it was, uh, again, back before Stephen A was there and, uh, and, you know, say what you want about Stephen A. I know he's kind of changed in what he is. Uh, one of the best 
if not the best basketball guy out there. He knows the sport better than anyone and is passionate about it. And I, I, we used to love having him on about that. I mean, you're giving me some chills talking about all these people that used to call into the to the fan and you know that that are no longer with us. But when the when 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 Joe would go on those rants, what would what would you do? Would you just kind of just like sit back and just sit let him back, go? Sit yeah. back and see what happens yeah. or sit back and watch the phone calls light up and just smile like ah he got him, he got him. That's all it was. It's like know? our whole I mean, show is made right now, basically. Uh, exactly. I mean, I mean it, it that could be nice. And I try we try to get a guest every night, but yeah, it, that'd be nice. And I'd be after a game. It'd be a disaster game. We got no guests. Like, uh, Joe, I don't have it. Don't worry. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. And it was just, you know, uh, uh, 45 minutes of monologues in there and then nonstop calls. And it was it was great. They were there all over. Never The calls never died down. It was it was amazing. It could be four o'clock in the morning and we were yeah. 40. No problem. It, it, we never had a problem with calls. I mean, it's it's passion. Like that's what made Stephen. That's what makes Stephen A. Smith great. That's what makes Joe Beningo great. It's just that there's just the passion is there, and you can see it from a mile away. Yeah, and it it yeah you know, people there people didn't like it. People didn't, and you know what? Uh, shame on you because that's that's what it was. He never lost his fandom, and that's one mm. that's one thing that's tough to do in this. And again, to to be fair, you know, we talked a, a few minutes there. You know, I I grew up as a lifelong Red Sox fan. And I'm working now for the New York Mets. And it was funny because we were talking with the interviews with uh, with all these guys. And we would ask him, you know, what's your, you know, what's your, what's your greatest Mets memory? What's your first Mets memory? And, uh, you know, I joke and laugh and I'm kind of smiling. And I always say, you know, my first Mets memory is, uh, you know, my dad waking me up on, a, on a October night, 1986. And he's like, 11 o'clock, they're going to win it. Oh, this is great. They're going to win it. And then I watched the ball go through Buckner's legs. And for the next 15 years, it was, wow. you know, Red Sox hell for me. So I laugh about it. But, you know, I, I would explain to them, and Kevin, you know this, one of the first things we did as an intern was work on Mets highlights. That was pretty much, a, you know, we're going to show you how to do that. So the first thing I ever did in radio was work with the New York Mets. And, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of grew to a point where it's like, okay, I might be a fan. I got to step away from that there, but there's nothing I love more than the Mets winning. And over the last years with the Red Sox winning as they are, and my kids now becoming Mets fans and my wife a Mets fan, I'm a Mets fan now. That's where, that's where it is. I, I, I want them to do well. Uh, you know, I, that I, they doing well helps it, the further they go, the better, you know, and if we get another Red Sox Mets world series, you know, I'll worry about that then. And, uh, you know, I might be a little, I, I'll be a little sad the Red Sox lost. I'll say that. All right. So that's how it would be. We get another right. Red Sox Mets World Series. I'll feel a little bad that Boston lost for once. And, you know, we'll find a way to get one a few years later. Can't outwardly root for them at that oh, point. I would, I, I would, I would, I would absolutely want the Mets to win that. It, 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 it is time for the Mets and the Mets fans to get, get their due. Okay. I've, I, I've had four of the Red Sox. It's perfectly fine. I'll, I'll, I'll wait to get a few more. Let's get like four or five for uh, for the Mets now. All right, does that sound good? That'd be Sounds wonderful. good to me. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be great. I, it, it might uh, it might make another fan base a little upset too, and that would be a nice little byproduct. <laughs> we, <won't laughs> we can all agree on that one. We, we can all agree on it. that one. That's absolutely. We, it feels like it's a very close network of people. Like when you talk about Mets fans in general, we're very. Mm -hmm very knowledgeable about the game. Like we really care and be like apparently getting punched in the face. So uh, you know, well, it, it, it toughens I, you up. I tell you, they are a great, great fan base. Yeah. Um, the, there are diehards. 
Uh, there's a small group of people on Twitter who follow me. I don't have a big Twitter following. If you'd like to add to it, at MartelJR is uh, what my Twitter handle is. If you'd like to jump on, uh, I do tweet about the games here and there, but I do have a lot of Met fan followers, and I'll like it and comment on those as well. And, you know, you you, you just see how passionate they are about it. I mean, it's it's the offseason. There's four or five people putting up pictures about can't wait to be back at City Field. It's such a great fan base, and, you know, this is a really, really fun team, I think, this year. I think they're going to be very good. Uh, I love the moves that they've made. Uh, there are people out there, the Joes and Clark of the, Clark of the world, the callers out there that are going crazy. Oh, they didn't get a bat, didn't get a bat. The one thing you can do at the trade deadline in baseball is you can get a bat. The one thing you can never do is get high-quality pitching. And they went out there. They made the perfect move after Jacob deGrom left in getting Justin Verlander mm-hmm. for the perfect contract. There's, it. They, they have got it perfectly set up right now where they're a win-now team and they should be able to do it. I'm glad you mentioned, Ray, that uh, the Mets made the perfect move with, with the pitching because if you can convince Kevin and Jay here that that is actually the gr- good move and you can get a bat at the, <laughs> at the yes. trade deadline, we'll be just fine. It's going to be fine. Would I would I love to see Jacob DeGrom back here? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt I would love to have him seen back. But if you look at the situation he got with the contract, the money that he got, uh, that would have probably hampered the Mets over the years on that way. And you put a contract in, your contract that they got right now with Justin Verlander and with uh, with Max Scherzer, now we're going to end at the same time. So mm-hmm. your your time with them is exactly it. If they're great during both of those years, which you hope they are, you, you know what? You won the lottery. Yep. If they're great one year and you did it, the same thing. If they all of a sudden fall off the cliff, well, you're not stuck with them for four or five years. You would have been if DeGrom does. And I hope DeGrom doesn't. Nobody wants to see that happen. But we've seen it happen with pitchers that they can just all of a sudden end right there. And if it does, and you're stuck with five, six years more of a contract, I mean, look at prime example. Look at Chris Sale in Boston. Hmm. I mean, he unfortunately, unfortunately has not been the same pitcher since he walked out of that bullpen and won the World Series. Now, again, you get that from him. You're going to take the rest of those years. You get that from Justin Verlander this year, and then if he doesn't pitch well the next two years of the contract, you sit there and say, hey, you know what? I I got exactly what I needed. So that's how you have to kind of look at this in in this baseball world. And this gives them some room to go out there and get a bat. They can get one. It it, it is. I'm not not a big Otani fan. I understand his talent. But the thing I always have with Otani is he's one injury away from you losing two (laughs) prime positions. If he gets hurt, you lose his bat and you lose his pitching. You're not just losing one player. And that's what always scares me out of a situation like that. He's a freak. He's immensely talented. He's great. But again, if he has an arm injury, now you no longer have him. You can't just say, well, you know what? It's fine. We got a DH. He's not there anymore. So that that's one thing you got to watch out with a player like that, a two-way player who is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. it's something to it's something to remember when you sign a player like that because it's it's two spots not one very true very true um i i mean i completely agree with you with with degrom why would you give him a why would you give a guy who's injured that much a five-year contract for that much money Mm -hmm. if you wanted to give him two years three years and he was willing to take it yeah fine and that's why and that's why you do verlander it's because that's it two or three years you can and you hope it doesn't happen but if something did you can live with two bad years of a contract if something exactly. would happen to DeGrom or anyone on that length of a contract, you're stuck at the end of it with, you know, you're stuck at the end with an albatross. 
you've kind of been almost half and half as you've been the executive director of, of Mets Baseball and Radio from the WOR days into WCBS now. So you've been there for the before and after in terms of the Steve Cohen regime. So what what kind of changes have you seen take place since the Wilpons sold the franchise to Steve Cohen? Uh, I've just seen a lot of a lot of positive energy, uh, and I, I for one, am, am someone who I, I had a very good relationship with Jeff Wilpon uh, when I was with Mike Francesa because I produced Mike, and Jeff would come on. I would see him at the ballpark. I could walk mm-hmm. up and say hello to him as Mike's producer. Oh, hi, how are you, Ray? Uh, there was a time when I needed to actually call him up to get some information. And uh, it was one of those times when uh, the show was going crazy. And Mike may have been saying, you know, Mike may have been a little mad at me at that time on the air. And uh, it was funny. I picked up the phone and I called him and uh, Jeff's like, oh, is Mike yelling at you? <laughs> and uh, I laughed and I got, he said, no, I got what you need here. And uh, no, I, 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 uh, I, I just think it, I think that it was a very good change for all people involved. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think the Wilpons get a bad rap for a lot of things unfairly. Um, you know, they, they, they spent a lot of money at times and people didn't like the way they spent it. And that's everyone's opinion, the way they can do it. I just think the Coens came in at the right time, did the right thing. And I think they're working to kind of listening to a lot of fans, listening to a lot of Met historian and people like Howie and Gary to kind of, not, I don't want to say right wrongs, but do the things that probably should have been done years ago. Willie Mays' 24 should have been done. Keith Hernandez should have been done. Old Timers Day last year. They're in, you know, they're they're doing this in pieces and ways that are making them special. They haven't announced it this year. I don't know if Old Timers Day is going to be back this year. It will come back again, but they want to make these things special. And that's that's what they I think they've done so well. Sure, the Seaver statue should have been there years ago. They got it in. They got it there. Seaver way. So many good positive things. Improvements at City Field. Uh, I have seen Mrs. Cohen walking around the concourse, talking to fans. Fans will walk up to her, take pictures, thank her. You know, they'll say, "Hey, I wish you could do this." She's like, "I'll mention that." I just see a lot. Uh, they, they've really done a really good job reaching mm-hmm. out to the Mets fans and the Mets family. And it's it's just been a much more positive attitude. And again, I'm not I'm not going to knock the Wilpons. They you know they had this team for quite some time. Fred and Jeff were completely different from each other. Things change. A lot of financial issues happen, as you know, obviously with it. If those don't happen, how much difference is this team? How much money is being spent by the Wilpons if the Madoff thing never happened? There's so many variables in that, and it probably was at the end a time for a change. And I think the change worked out perfect for the way it was. And I think everybody's extremely happy with how, how it's going. And, you know, uh, we, we, we all love what Steve Cohen and, and, uh, and they have done here. And they continue to go out there and, and go out there and push for making the team and the organization better. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't say anything bad about them. They, they really have they, – they've been great. And I know the fans love them. But, again, personally meeting them along the way, they could not be nicer. The next time you see Steve Cohen, could you just tell him to change the seats at, at City Field to orange and blue? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's like the only mistake that was made with the stadium. I, I know. There's a lot of little things like that. They like the, One of the suggestions I thought, and again, I think that the Shea Bridge should be blue oh, and yeah. also have the squares on it from Shea Stadium. I think that's a. I think that's something you could do down the way. I've suggested that. Don't know if it ever happened, but I think little things like that eventually will happen 
as it goes on and on. They've got the beautiful new scoreboards coming in this year. Uh, again, the, the Seaver statue is fantastic. You know, I, I, you got to imagine there's going to be some more number retirements or ceremonies coming up. You know, they're, they're, I don't know who, uh, but obviously we know there are guys out there who certainly deserve it. David Wright one day should. Uh, I think Daryl should someday. That's my opinion should be. There's guys out there that deserve to have, uh, you know, to have that. Maybe, maybe even not retire, but maybe have a wall of honor somewhere mm-hmm. like they should. There are things that I think they will continue to do because Steve is a big Mets fan. His family are big Mets fans. I think he, I think he also enjoys making Mets fans happy. He, he, mm-hmm. he, he certainly enjoys it when people mm-hmm. react positively to what he does. And he certainly has. And certainly putting uh, Howie Rose and Gary Cohen in the Hall of Fame makes all of us happy. Yes. Yep. Well sure. deserved. I'm well curious to see who's going to emcee that that uh, that ceremony because they're both going in. <laughs> see, you know what? That's funny. I, I didn't even think about that because it's usually Howie uh, emceeing all those, if not Gary. So, yeah, it, it, it's a great it is a great thing. And I know. I know the Ford Frick Award should be Howie's, should be Gary's at some point. They both should get it. But I don't know as a Met fan and growing up as they are, I don't know if, yeah, the baseball one would technically and be bigger. But I just, you know, the day it happened, I I just, I texted Howie that. And I said, Howie, you grew up as a fan loving that team and you're going in their Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. That to me is such it's such a cool honor. 100%. Ray, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speak with us today. That This was fantastic. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank I you. appreciate it. I, uh, you know, I can't believe it's been that long since we were around. You know, I, I'll say this and, and not to bring up, uh, you know, bad memories in that way. But, you know, I always think of Kevin uh, around 9-11. And uh, 9-11, I'm still working Joe's show. But I also work mm-hmm. the Saturday uh, that one, we had something on Saturday night and Kevin uh, was working that night and Kevin needed a ride home. And I said, this is on. So 9-11 was a Tuesday, 10, 9, 9. Right. So it's eight, September 8th and September 9th. So he's like, oh, I got to get out of here a little early so I can get the uh, subway to get the Staten Island Ferry. Not going to get home at two in the morning. I said, let me give you a ride. So I drop him off and I get there. And after I drop him off, I come around, I go up West Street. And I'm telling you, I, I used to love those buildings. I drove mm-hmm. right by that where the garage was, where 93 the bombing was. Mm-hmm. And I looked up and I said, wow, you never got it and you never will. And I drove up there and three days later they were gone. And I was the last time I saw it was after I dropped Kevin off. And it's just, uh, I always think of you around that. I thank God that you were yeah. okay, that we were all okay. But, you know, it just shows how much has changed in New York since, uh, since him and I were together together right. at, uh, at FAM. No, I, I, and every night when I would get, take the ferry, I would stand on the back deck and watch the world trade center as it would recede from view. Yeah. You know, and then that was, that night was the same last time I saw them as well. And things were just totally different a couple of days after that. And what, what was weird is it, giants and Broncos were playing on Monday right. night football. So mm-hmm. I remember that game and I remember the giants losing saying, ah, we oh, spent well. the whole night, yeah. Joe and I, just like taking just calls, like what a nightmare, what, what a disaster. This is the worst start the season could ever happen. And, you know, nine hours after the game's over, uh, nobody was talking about it again. And it was, uh, you know, back a few weeks later when Piazza hit that home run at Shea Stadium, I was there for that. It was 
the most emotional, incredible sporting event that I've ever been. I, people ask me what are you know the top five sporting events I've ever been to. And with all due respect, Super Bowl 36 for me is going to be because I'm there with my dad. But, you know, if, if I got to go five, uh, you know, I'm sitting in there and, and that's not getting knocked out is, is that night with Piazza because it was just he hits the home run and for three and a half minutes and pretty much right till they close the game out. Uh, it was just a little time of real life and to have some fun. Yes, we walked out. You could still see the glow and smoking at that time of the night. Reality came back to you, but it just gave us that one one little time we needed it. And I think in a lot of documentaries, they say it, it was almost like it was okay to laugh and smile again. And it was, and it, it really did. So, you know, that that's, like I said, the, I, I grew up a Red Sox fan. But, you know, I, I, I have become a real big Mets fan and love this team because of, you know, what they've meant to me in my professional life, for my family's life and for my friends. It's a it's it's a great fan base to be a part of. And it, it's I, I hope I do a good job every year for you guys, because it, it, it's without you guys listening. We're really not you know, we're really not really not doing our jobs. And that was Ray Martell and, and a little behind the scenes stuff, if you will. We did record the interview with Ray a while ago and it was before the World Baseball Classic. I think a, f- a fair amount of stuff uh, has has happened since then. Right, Ray? A, a little bit has happened. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously, unfortunately, a few of those came out negative for the Mets. And look, I want to say this first off. World Baseball Classic is a tremendous idea. In theory, it is great. We had some great games in it. The final lived up to all the hype, but it just really is a situation where there's no perfect spot for it. And I I guess this really is the best spot for it overall. But unfortunately, you know, you've seen a few players already get hurt in this World Baseball Classic. And unfortunately, in Edwin Diaz case, not even in the game. So that's what kind of makes it even more of a, a tougher thing to take is it wasn't even in a game. So you know, a freak, unfortunate accident that uh, that cost Edwin Diaz and the Mets. But you know what? Um, it, I it's here to stay. Manfred has already said it's going to be back in four years. And you saw the, the reaction, the crowd in Miami. That was the storybook ending that everyone was pretty much yeah. anticipating. And you know, the more the more I talk about it, and I think I mentioned. And when we talked before, you know, about Otani and all that, the incredible talent that he is. And as as I said, he's so important as a pitcher. He's so important as a batter. Uh, and then he comes up and he comes up in the biggest situation in the World Baseball Classic and just blows him away and blows probably one of the best players in, in baseball and his own teammate away. And you couldn't have asked for more. That's absolutely correct. And I just want to read some of the stats from the World Baseball Classic for Otani because they're just absolutely ridiculous. 435 average, 606 on base percentage, 739 slugging, four doubles, home run. He walked 10 times. Oh, and he pitched nine and two thirds innings, struck out 11, and he had a 1.86 ERA, which is absurd. That was Ortiz in the 2013 playoffs minus pitching. If we would have got Big Poppy to go out there and blow on the mind, I'm out. I mean, that's what he's an incredible, incredible generational talent. He he would look he would look real good in Queens. I I, I have oh, to say that, but oh. you know I I I I just put that caveat that if you sign him and when you do get him in there, you know you better hope he doesn't get hurt because you're you're losing two big holes if he does. Yeah, I read a prediction the other day that said someone was going to offer him seven hundred million after the season. I was like, wow, that's that's no, that's crazy. Not going to happen. Not 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 even not not at his age and with 
you know, his medicals out there that you know that, you know, they're there at, at any point, one injury could cost two positions. That that that's what's going to be the, that's what's going to be the question. What are they? What is his value? We do know his value. We know his value mm-hmm. is immense for what he can do. But what is his value? As okay, I will pay uh, big money for Aaron Judge because okay, I know if he gets hurt, uh, you know, I still he's going to come back and still be able to swing that back. Uh, you know, I I know that. Do we know if Otani gets hurt? Is he still going to be that pitcher again if he comes back? Or but even vice versa, if he's that pitcher but not giving you that batter, well, now you've got him every five days. He's not the same player that you're paying for. It, it is a mm-hmm. it is a catch-22, but an amazing one that we're going to see. I think we're going to see play out next year, no doubt about it. Ray, let's get some updates on, on the Mets radio booth. Probably not as big an impact on Keith Rad because he's been a minor league broadcaster for the past several years. Uh, Pat McCarthy as well has seen minor league action, so they're kind of used to the pitch clock. But now that there's le- there's really less time, there's less time to fill for radio broadcasters. And really, you know, spitting yarn is one of the, the, the great things I like about listening to baseball. But how is the pitch clock? Has that had an impact as far as how the, the radio booth is handling these games? Well, I'll tell you one one first regular season game, you know, opening day, opening night, opening afternoon, whatever you want to call it. That game just flew. It was great. I'm telling you that that was fun to watch. There was no BS. You kept on going and put through. It did everything you wanted to do. And I think Max's quote about it was completely that. You know, I love the pitch clock. I just wish we didn't have it. I love the pace. I wish we didn't have it. And that's, you know, okay, that's something you're going to have to deal with. But, I mean, I loved it yesterday. That that game just moved, and you see it. And I, I, I think that the biggest thing that I talked about when uh, I was at spring with both Keith and Pat, and they said – the difference it's going to make is going to be in these, you know, 10, nine ga- or 10 to 2 games where, okay, those games would drag because you go, okay, here comes, the, here comes the infielder to pitch. Here comes this and that. Nowadays, it's not going to happen. Guys going to start swinging, and guys going to stay in. You look at what happened yesterday on opening day in Boston. That game was going to be a blowout at one point. And all of a sudden, it ended up being a 10-9 game, and a lot of that was due to the pitch clock because they just have to keep going. You, know, you, don't, you don't have time to sulk and go up there, and guys are going to start swinging, and pitchers are going to be like, you know, I got to move. All of a sudden, you, you one hit here, bloop there, and next thing you know, in the ninth inning, they got the tying run on third base and couldn't get it in. So, if we're going to see more of these baseball games that are going to end up being closer, even if they're high scoring mm-hmm. games, it's going to be better for it. Uh, it changes the broadcast a lot because there's not a lot of time in between, but it is nice to uh, to be sitting there and you look up like, oh, wow, we're two and a half hours in and we're in the seventh inning, eighth inning. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Kevin, you and I spent many a Sunday night uh, sitting at fan cutting tape watching the Yankees or Red Sox play, and it's 1130 and we're in the middle of the fourth. You know, oh, you know yeah. that, those are the days. Those ESPN Sunday night games were, oh. were four hours, like four routinely four hours. It four, was, four and a half just, hours minimum. minimum. Oh. So, yeah, maybe the pitch, the pitch clock is clearly going to help those out. You know, I, I I wonder if, and I have heard some players say that, and I've heard broadcast it. I wonder if they will tweak it somewhere down the line, where you know, hey, in later innings, we're going to give a little bit more time uh, to get, you know, a little bit more to for players to kind of to to you know, as the game gets on, to kind of ease in. Uh, but you know, if it works, it works. And look, it's one day, it's one game. We got a second game today. It is definitely 
It is definitely a breath of fresh air to baseball. And I, I agree with Max. If we can step back and say, you know what? There's no clock there, but the game's moving. Then what's, what have we done wrong? And it is, this is a, this is a time when baseball, it looks like baseball has done something right. I am, I want to see how the limiting pitching throws the first in that workout. But for me, the pitch clock took a little bit of getting used to, but Boy, it was great last night to be sitting there in the seventh inning and being like, it's not not the middle of the night. Uh, right. What was the what's have people been saying about Keith and Pat so far? We've had such, such positive feedback. I mean, the everyone from day one when they started and came in, it was Keith and uh Keith and Howie the first weekend, got some great reviews, a lot of people talking about it. Social media was a buzz of it saying, What a what a great fit. He sounds so good. And then, you know, a week later, we get Pat and Keith working together alone and a whole nother reaction of like, wow, these young guys sound really good. And I honestly, one of the one of the things you really got to give, and, and I do, and we all do, is give a lot of credit to Howie because he really is ta- with taking his stride, enjoying it, having fun. Um, one thing Howie did this spring was the Mets format is, you know, Howie's going to do five of the innings, and the number two guy is going to do three. And that's what it's going to be like in the regular season. Howie does one, two. Keith will do three and four. Howie comes back for five, six. Seven is Keith. Eight and nine, nine is uh, is Howie to take you the rest of the way. But during spring, Howie was like, you know what? Uh, we want to get the I want to get these guys some time. And Howie did the first couple innings, then threw it off to Keith and Pat, and they took it the rest of the way. And Howie got it back in the ninth. And it it allowed them to really gel and work together. There was even some times when we had a three-man booth, which we won't have, but we had the three of them in there. And it was a riot. It was like a comedy show every once in a while, these guys having some fun in a spring training game. And really, it gave a chance for them to give their personalities and, and get out there. And I'm telling you, it is it is a real fun booth uh, with it when, when the three of them are together. And when, ha- when Keith and... and uh, and Keith and Pat are together. It is a younger booth, but they're really, really good together. And I think they're enjoying each other. You know, it, it was a, it was a fun time to hear them. Look, it's gonna it's gonna build over the year. You're gonna get a lot of Keith and Pat on the West Coast games when they're together. Uh, you're gonna get Keith and, and Howie a lot throughout the season. Uh, but I, I really I I, lo- I love how they sound. I think they really do have different sounds uh, between the two of them. And they're going to learn, you know, they're going to make mistakes or you're going to have some games. You're going to sit back and say, wow, yeah, that's where it is. But that that's as I like to say from our friends over in, in uh, over in the Bronx, that's baseball, Susan. You're going to have it like that. All right. Thank you again for joining us on this uh, update, epilogue yeah. update. I don't know. Whatever it was <laughs> to our looking for. Our... It's great. You're looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to I think you're going to be very happy even as the season goes on. I think you're going to have. Uh, you know, a real, a real long relationship with this booth. I think there, I think there's something special brewing. Again, spring training was great. Game one was great, and I think we're gonna. I think a lot of people are gonna love what you're gonna hear from baseball, not only this year but going forward. Thank you again, Ray, and uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on. Great, greatly appreciate that. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Ray. Yes. Yeah, so, guys, uh, a lesson learned. So don't record an interview and air it. Wait a month to air it. So that's going to be duly noted uh, going forward when we record future episodes. Because we, I mean, oh, lesson learned. Amateur hour, amateur hour. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, It's all Jay's fault. 
That's all Jason's fault. I'll take it. <laughs> but we should have known better. We were talking about the Mets. This is the Mets here. They were going to Mets us, and they did. We, we should have known. We right. out. You're 100% correct. We should have known the Mets are going to Mets. But hey, 1-0, top no. of the NL East. Right? Yeah, For now. we're tied. No, we're tied. <laughs> right. As we speak, uh, game two is going on. Uh, this is a, we did a quick update on a Friday night. Uh, so this will air, of course, you're going to hear this a few days from now. Uh, so to further confuse you. So this, it's That's like right. we should hop in the DeLorean and go back, you know, to, <laughs> and then we'll all catch up and we'll all be on the same plane. That's right. <laughs> the same timeline. So, yes. Yeah, so thank you for your, your patience listening in and talk to you again in a couple of weeks, but by the way, and hopefully you've been able to check it out, but when we're not talking, we're writing. So on the weeks where we don't have a podcast, we have a block. Uh, Chris had a great one uh, in mid-February or mid-March, excuse me. Uh, and then Jay had a, Jay released one uh, just uh, a few days ago. Uh, in fact, at the start of uh, last week, as you're listening to this. And then I am on deck. So I am on uh, Monday, April 10th. So I will make sure to get something ready by then. <laughs> you got some big shoes to fill here, Kevin. Big shoes to fill. And on top of that, we launched a monthly newsletter. So and here's the deal with the newsletter. So we got a lot of stuff going on on the Throwing Bagels podcast on our website. So if you miss anything, we're going to recap everything we've done in April. We're going to send it to you at the end of the month. So everything we've posted, you can... It'll all be nice and encapsulated in one newsletter and you can click it and it'll take you right to the episodes you may have missed or the blogs you may have missed. It's just a great way to get caught up on everything uh, that goes on throughout the month. So hopefully you can, now to get that newsletter, you do have to sign up for it. So you have to go to our website, throwingbagels.com. So thanks again to Ray Martell, the executive producer of New York Mets Baseball on WCBS 880. It is going to be a roller coaster season, and I, I couldn't think of a better radio booth handled uh, that uh, that's able to handle what will come <laughs> over yeah, the what summer. Do you mean roller coaster, we're going undefeated, baby. Come on, roller coaster. <laughs> Are you forgetting about the other 161 games? <laughs> ah, whatever. More injuries don't more injuries don't take place. Ah, it'll be fine. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right, Chris. I wish I could be you, man. I wish I could be you. <laughs> <laughs> Everything will be fine. All right. Okay. Well, thanks again, Ray, uh, for for joining us, and thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jay. And uh, we will see you next time right here on Throwing Bagels podcast at throwingbagels.com or wherever you. Get your podcast. You can email us, throwingbagelspodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you, or see, we will, uh, you will hear us. How about that? That's right. There you go. Okay. In a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.